the name of God the Father, God the Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to virtual worship at Mayflower Congregational Church. Wherever you're watching this morning, we're glad that you've joined us. I'm Jonathan White. I'm the interim pastor at Mayflower. And I'm joined this morning by the Reverend Ruth Bell, Ruth Bell Olson. Ruth, you'd think I could get that straight after working together with you so long. Uh, Scott Bosher, Dr. Julia Brown, our musical guest this morning, Brennan Cardis, and our special musical guest who is in his third year as the music director of the Grand Rapids Symphony, Marcelo Leninger. Marcelo, thank you for being here this morning. Um, we appreciate you, and we appreciate the relationship we have with the Grand Rapids Symphony. So good to have you here this morning. You may remember that uh, we're conducting a survey uh, for the senior pastor search. Uh, it's due this Tuesday, so if you haven't filled it out yet, we'd appreciate it if you'd get that back to the church. If you have any problems, please give the church a call. Beth will not be here tomorrow, but I'll check the messages and I'll get back to you. We're remaining um, active during this COVID phase, and we're going to try to resume some type of a normal schedule on September 9th, midweek will begin. It will be outside on Wednesday evening. Uh, we will be distanced and uh, we'll be safe. Weather permitting, it'll be September 9th. I would also add that several of you have asked me, when is the church going to open up? Well, that's a good question. Council has closed the building at this point. And we set up a COVID task force composed of doctors, um, scientists, some medical folks, some policy people to advise the executive committee and council on the opening of the church. For right now, council has voted to keep the church closed. On September 12th, our youth will be working with Sudanese Grace Episcopal Church uh, at a car wash. We encourage you just to come by uh, for a car wash or just to make a donation. We're raising money for the Grace Episcopal, or Sudanese Grace Episcopal, to build a playground for their young people. On September 13th, we will conduct a kickoff Sunday, and Ruth and I will be preaching a series through Advent featuring the Gospel of Matthew, selected passages from Matthew. This morning, we continue with our series, Who Do You Say I Am?, as we explore the nature of Christ. We'll conclude that series next week as we talk about a universal or a cosmic Christ. And now, I invite you to focus, to calm your heart, to bring your joys, to bring your sorrows, to pour out your feelings wherever you are, however you're feeling, whatever your state of mind. Come to worship. It's Sunday morning. 
and it's time for church. Let us pray. Loving, faithful spirit, the God in whom we live, move, and have our being, the God who is made known in Christ through the person of Jesus of Nazareth, bless us one and all as we wait on you this day. Please remove from our minds and hearts whatever impediments hinder worship or dampen our joy. Increase within us the holy longing for closeness, which can open our lives to fuller delight and a deeper commitment. May our hymns and prayers, our searching thoughts, our hearing of the scriptures, May our worship experience be an exercise in the holy. By you, with you, and for you, may our lives reflect your love. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen.
Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 16. We'll begin with verses 15 through 16 and then move to 21 through 28, if you're reading along at home. Jesus said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Moving to verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone wants to become my follower, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their lives will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find us. For what will it profit if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is come with angels in the glory of his Father, and he will then repay everyone for what they have done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Our second scripture reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 through 18. The Apostle Paul writes, Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy One, we had a lot in our minds these days. Our hearts are heavy, our souls weary. The world is in a mess, and we gather this day to worship you and to try to make sense of how we are to be. How are we to follow you when we are pulled in so many directions? How are we to be your people when those who claim you often look nothing like you? Be with us as we seek you. Reveal yourself to us in a new way. Let us open our hearts and minds to your reality. May our meditations and our words be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jack White and Meg White formed a band in Detroit in the late 90s. They called this band the White Stripes. They went on to record seven albums before they disbanded in 2011. They were nominated for eight Grammys and won four of them. Their musical category is loosely titled Garage Rock Sound. 
Arguably, their most famous song, Seven Army Nation, has become a bit of an American anthem. It is played at just about every major sports venue and rally of the past decade. Perhaps you recognize this riff. Thanks, Julia. In June of 2005, the band released its fifth album with the title, Get Behind Me, Satan. This album received the Grammy for Best Alternative Music Album in 2006, and Rolling Stone magazine ranked it the third best album of the year. According to the magazine's review, Get Behind Me, Satan is a biblical reference plus an invitation to backdoor action with the Prince of Darkness. But the music is so wild, it would make you weep over how pitilessly the stripes keep crushing the other bands out there. In an interview for the radio show Fresh Air, Jack White claimed that every song on the album is about truth. In 1936, Irving Berlin wrote a song with the title, Get Thee Behind Me, Satan, for the film Follow the Fleet. The song is referencing a relationship and the temptation to engage when one shouldn't. The song was eventually recorded in 1958 by one of America's most iconic jazz singers, Ella Fitzgerald. Truth and Temptation. If you Google this phrase, get behind me, Satan, you will certainly find some interesting content. Pinterest and Etsy have pages and pages of products, ideas, and tchotchke for sale with these four words. In our COVID-saturated world, this phrase has taken on a whole new significance. A popular t-shirt featured on Etsy reads, get behind me, Satan. CDC recommends at least six feet. God recommends further. It is fascinating that this line from scripture is so oft repeated and in so many arenas. What is so important about this phrase? What does its popularity reveal to us as humans? Here at Mayflower, we are in the middle of a series on the life and experiences of Jesus, titled, Who Do You Say I Am?, We see in our passage this morning from the book of Matthew, Jesus asked this question of Peter, who do you say I am? A stalwart Peter declares that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus blesses Peter, acknowledging this divine insight. Then, as the narrative in Matthew 16 continues, Jesus turns around and refers to Peter as Satan. Wait, is Peter blessed or is he Satan? How could Jesus' opinion be so fickle? Even earlier in the book of Matthew, Jesus makes a statement, statement much like the one he makes to Peter. Only this time he is addressing Satan directly. In chapter 4, Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights when he is approached by the tempter, also referred to as the devil. 
The devil first tries to lure Jesus with food by trying to get him to turn a stone into bread. Then he tries to tempt Jesus by bringing him to the highest point of the temple. He then suggests that Jesus throw himself off in order to be scooped up by angels. In the third temptation, the devil shows Jesus the splendor of the world and says that if Jesus will bow down and worship to him, Jesus will be given it all. There are many ways to interpret these three temptations, but they are commonly referred to as the triple threat of vices, pleasure, wealth, and power. Jesus responds with the words, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Get behind me, Satan, and away from me, Satan, are very similar statements. Yet clearly Peter and Satan are not one and the same. Jesus commands Satan to depart, yet he tells Peter to get behind. Perhaps this is a critical detail. Disciples are to follow the master, to be behind. Peter is out of order. Plus, standing in front means blocking the way, a stumbling block. Peter needs to get out of the way, and he needs to fall in step behind. Perhaps by calling Peter Satan, Jesus is acknowledging that anyone who blocks the will of God or points us away from God is of Satan, is a tempter. Well, isn't that an awfully strong word choice? According to writer Deanna Langle, Peter often reminds us of our humanity. That's his gift to us. Perhaps it was also a gift to Jesus. Jesus must have been tempted by what Peter said to him. Jesus certainly would have preferred to not have to talk about suffering and death. Perhaps Peter is naming something like fear within Jesus and bringing it to light. It scares Jesus, so he responds forcefully. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. What the devil offered agonized him. It was not easy to say no. For all of us, pleasure, wealth, and power, in all their forms, are hard to walk away from. Peter wants Christ to avoid suffering. This tempted Jesus. Who wants to suffer? Who wants to die? But wasn't the temptation that Peter extended simply out of love for Jesus? Not wanting his master to suffer is kind, right? This impulse to protect those we love, obviously not bad in and of itself. But is there another motivation at play here? Does Peter want Jesus to be successful, like a good disciple would? How could a suffering Christ be useful? Aren't they following the Messiah who will usher in a new kingdom? The disciples were hoping that following Jesus, giving up their lives of fishing and tax collecting and zealotry, would mean that they would participate in victory over Rome. They could be decorated warriors or advisors in this new kingdom. 
The Jews were an oppressed and maligned minority under Roman occupation. They were surrounded by injustice and violence and disregard not only for suffering but for human life. They were desperate for a new king and a new kingdom. Yet Jesus, their Messiah, tells them they will take up their cross. Keep in mind, this was not a metaphor. This was not a sterling silver pendant hanging on a chain or a tattoo or a home decor item. This was a real thing, a Roman torture device. The disciples had a powerful visual of barbaric death. In verse 21, Jesus begins to explain how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. He is indicating that they will follow suit. This idea of an afflicted Savior would not have been completely foreign. Isaiah mentions a suffering servant, as do several of the Psalms. The disciples would have been familiar with these passages. Yet, this idea of Jesus' suffering is so uncomfortable to Peter, that he insists otherwise. Jesus also mentions that he will suffer at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, which would have sounded crazy. Yes, the Romans are barbarians, but the group Jesus outlines are the best of the best, the most revered Jews. They're not the ones who legally impose death penalties. So this is also very confusing to Peter. And Jesus' words must have been very unsettling for all the disciples. If Jesus, the Messiah, suffers and dies, who will save them? Where will their power come from? Was Peter's plea to avoid the path of the cross revealing his desire for pleasure, wealth, and power? Is this where we often find ourselves? One writer unpacks this idea this way. Jesus showed us that we cannot have the glory of the resurrection without the suffering of the cross. Many of us avoid following Christ with our whole hearts out of fear of the cross because we naturally resist this suffering. When we turn from the necessity of the cross, We become like Peter and align ourselves, however unwittingly, with the evil one. Do we all, at some point, or multiple points throughout our lives, have to answer this question, who are we truly aligned with? Deanna Langle insists, following God is difficult. We're always overwhelmed by discipleship. And so turn away or are tempted to turn away. But if we stop pursuing justice, peace, healing, and wholeness for our lives and for our world, we become supporters of that which we oppose. In other words, We can pursue justice, peace, healing, and wholeness for ourselves and our world, or we can align ourselves with the tempter. There's a good team and a bad team, and everybody plays. Ouch. This sounds kind of narrow and judgy, doesn't it? 
Just because I'm not actively pursuing justice does not mean I'm aligned with Satan, does it? Well, this passage in Matthew and the words of Jesus provide some clarity for us. If we are not on the side of Christ, aligning ourselves, our priorities, our actions, our values, our vision with the way of Christ, then we are on the wrong side. There's no neutral. But it's so easy in our current cultural context to to be good, or rather good enough. Many of us do not seek controversy or any kind of spotlight. So taking sides feels polarizing and scary. Yet there are all kinds of situations where we must stand up in the face of injustice. Times when we must come to another person's defense or help the person in need in front of us. Time when we must speak up. There are situations and times when this is quite clear. I was in a local breakfast restaurant last year with out-of-town friends. We were reminiscing about a trip we had taken together and we were enjoying our food. I began to notice that the host was methodically seating all of the people of color families, couples, groups of friends in the back corner of the restaurant. It was so weird and unsettling. At first I thought maybe my perspective was skewed or I was just not seeing the big picture. The restaurant is quite large and my table was in the middle. I shifted in my seat to get a better view of the situation and I was horrified to see that in fact one corner of the restaurant was disproportionately full of people of color. I debated what to do. I tossed around scenarios and thought that I should probably track down the host or the manager. But because I was hosting friends and because we were having such a nice time, I'm ashamed to say I did nothing. And I was wrong. I should have asked to speak with the manager at the very least. I was bearing witness to injustice, and I did nothing. I was not aligned with Christ. I was instead complicit and silent. And this made me a person aligned with the forces of evil. Racism and discrimination in all their forms are evil. Am I Satan? Was Peter Satan? No, of course not. Were we both tempted by pleasure, wealth, and power? Was I so comfortable pursuing pleasure, eating my meal, that I missed a chance to align with Christ and be a person of justice? Today, I've decided not to patronize that restaurant ever again. And the next time I witness a situation like the one I witnessed, wherever that might be, I'm ready. I will speak up. As a disciple, a student, a learner, a follower... We get opportunities every day to grow, to learn, to change, or to readjust our alignment. We get to repeatedly ask ourselves, are we pursuing comfort or justice? Are we pursuing wealth or peace? Are we pursuing healing and wholeness or power? Are we taking up our crosses? Are we losing our life in order to find it? We are called to suffer. 
Perhaps this suffering for you today is something out of your control. Health issues, grief, brokenness, or a broken relationship. Perhaps you are a victim of discrimination and injustice. Perhaps you have no idea what I mean by suffering for Christ. Your life is good. You have health, wealth, and happiness. This can be a huge blessing, of course. But there's a temptation, too, isn't there, when life is good. We can put a lot of energy into maintaining our blessing instead of giving it away. So I wonder, what keeps you up at night? Does it involve injustice? Who do you know that's in real need? Who is broken and downtrodden and without hope? Who is the person or people God has placed on your heart? Is it broken yet? Sometimes our suffering is fully present in our own physical bodies or families or circumstances. And sometimes we need to take on the suffering of others, align ourselves with the pain of those around us in order to participate with Christ in his kingdom and to better understand what it means to be a modern-day disciple. I know many of the members of Mayflower volunteer at places like Degage and Mulek Elementary, Some of you engage in relief efforts after disasters, and some of you are advocates for those who live on the margins of society. Many of you champion human rights and can't stand the inequalities in our own city, country, and world. Bless you. You have lost your life. And I'm guessing you have found it in some way. When we live for our own comfort and accumulation, does not take long for that life to become meaningless. If we are not people who suffer, yet take on the suffering of others, there is deep meaning. You are aligning yourself with Christ, who came to restore, reconcile, and repair a very broken world. And to those people and forces that try to stop you, you can say with all your heart, Get behind me, Satan. When we question our alignment, or if we are on the right team, thankfully, our passage this morning from Romans is a great help. We are to mark our lives with genuine love. We are to hold on to what is good, to show one another honor, be people of zeal, people who rejoice in hope. And when there is suffering, we are to be patient and pray. So let's be known as disciples, Christians, people of Mayflower, who rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, not as haughty people, but those who associate with the lowly. And let's not repay evil with evil, but seek to live peaceably with all. Wow, that sounds pretty great, doesn't it? That would make a nice anthem for a rally, wouldn't it? Or maybe we we can put that on a t-shirt. In the name of the creator, sustainer, and redeemer, amen. I want to make a quick announcement about a plan that begins this week, and that is our um, wanting to get hymnals 
in the homes of every Mayflower family and member. So I will be in the portico this week, Tuesday and Thursday, between 5.30 and 6, with a sign-out sheet and with hymnals. And I would love to see you to say a quick hello from a distance and to get a hymnal in your hand so that you can fully participate as we continue our virtual services on Sunday. And it is a source that you can use for your private devotionals throughout the week as well. About today's music, uh, you heard a movement from Bach's Magnificat. Uh, This is the Song of Mary. These are words that throughout the centuries have symbolized hope, revolution and resistance, and comfort. And Bach's setting for alto and tenor of this small verse from that song is quite remarkable. Uh, And other songs, other music in the service today, you will hear at the very end the postlude by Buxtehude, who was a generation or two before Bach and was a great influence in the music of Bach. So you will hear the flashy and fun use of a large organ. Buxtehude had a four-manual organ at his church in Lübeck, and Bach actually walked 200 miles to go hear him play. And then in a few moments, you will hear uh, music that was written, influenced by Bach centuries later and very distant from Germany. So Villa Lobos, the Brazilian composer in the 20th century, wrote nine suites called Baquianas Brasileiras for a variety of instruments. And the Baquiana number four was first written for piano and then orchestrated by Villa Lobos. And you will hear the first movement, Preludio, uh, in a few moments. And this, uh, what Bach does is take Baroque harmonies and counterpoints and weave them into a uniquely Brazilian sound, which you will hear in this wonderful preludio. And I want to echo Jonathan's welcome earlier in the service, uh, having Brennan Kartz here and uh, Marcelo Leninger. It's wonderful that he's taken the time to be with us this morning. He is very busy uh, working on the alternate Grand Rapids Symphony season for the fall. As many of us are doing, we're trying to find ways to continue doing what we do during this COVID world. And the Grand Rapids Symphony has just announced their new season, which begins in a couple weeks. Um, they will, uh, this will be a virtual season until we're able to bring um, an audience in, a live audience. But there are smaller ensembles. They will be playing in the larger space of the arena rather than the, uh, their normal performance hall. Uh, They will be masked and socially distanced and all the things that we're getting used to in this world. So if you go to grsymphony.org, their website, uh, there's a lot more information about this exciting season that will include Joshua Bell and his wife 
and uh, the holiday pops. Uh, the first concert is Tchaikovsky, so really some wonderful music uh, that they have prepared for uh, our community. And um, meanwhile, don't go to their website until the service is finished. We still have some more going on. And um, enjoy uh, Marcelo's beautiful musicianship. It's difficult to find ways to worship in this virtual age. We long to get together. We long to fill this place up. We long to see our friends. Well, there are ways to worship. We can pray. We can have virtual Bible studies. I've joined some people on Zoom. We can call one another. And one of the things we can do is donate the church is on a reduced budget, a COVID budget, and I'm really happy to say that we've been able to keep every employee at Mayflower during, during this time, which is difficult to do. So this morning, if you're able, I ask you to continue your donations to Mayflower. You can do that on our website by clicking the donate button. You can mail your pledge to the church. One family drops it off in the drop box to make their weekly visit to church. You can also even text us at 616-344-6255 and take the uh, donate option. Regardless of how you give, we want to be on that team that stands with Jesus. So I ask you now to share your tithes and offerings.
Thank you, Marcelo. Let us pray. Accept these offerings, O Lord, to share your radiance and accomplish your will in this church and in our greater community, everywhere in your holy realm. Amen. congregational prayer. For those of you who are suffering, for those of you who have lost loved ones, for those of you who are lonely, for those of you who are simply fed up, we pray for you. For those filled with joy, for those who have houses filled with laughter, we pray for you. Let us pray. We thank you, O God, for the joy of today. It is still morning, and yet so many good things have come our way. The joy of shelter, the joy of clean water, the joy of food on our table. Thank you for friends who understand us and the joy of meeting new friends, the vibration and joy of music. Thank you that we are here in church, even though we're coming through the airwaves, through the miracle of electricity. We're worshiping you in body and spirit. Thank you for the joy of worshiping you our Creator. And in the midst of these joys, in all honesty, we admit we come with fear and pain. We fear the grip of racism in our history and our contemporary political life. We pray for those who protect us, and we ask that they use their power, the power we grant them, in a respectful manner. Some of us have fears about new beginnings, new schools, distance learning, new relationships, new jobs, the loss of jobs. We don't know how we'll do or how we'll feel. We're nervous. We want all things to go well. There are fears about health, the COVID pandemic, as well as losses in our congregation, 
illnesses, things that are unexplained. Some of us have financial fears. Will we find work? Is our work secure? How will we pay the bills? Have we saved enough for the future? God of hope, you are with us in all our fears. You are with us in all our pain, and you can bring joy in the midst of them. Thank you for your faithfulness through time, for the ways you have been there for us in the past, and that nothing can separate us from your love. this week to have compassion for those who fear, for those who are fleeing bombs and bullets, for those who face governments that are oppressive, for those who cannot worship openly but must meet in secret. In our own community, there are people who live in fear, fear of violence, fear of being alone. Help us to be a people of refuge. Help us to be people who offer help and support, who go the extra mile when we see people in need, to work with the justice that Ruth preached about. Forgive us for the times when we've been too wrapped up in our own thoughts and activities to truly see our neighbors. together 
the prayer that Jesus taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
And now as a benediction, may you, disciples of Christ, called as partners in service to the kingdom of heaven, may you boldly say, get behind me, Satan, when you are tempted with a pull of the world. And may you align yourselves with the one who resisted temptation in order to pursue justice, peace, healing, and wholeness for all creation. And may your life shine with the ever-abounding love of the Almighty God. Go in peace. Amen.